let me see if I've got this straight. God is big, like really big, but he's also in the small things. We can't see him, and yet he's incredibly close. His character never changes, but at the same time, we can't predict what he's going to do. He's got control over everything, but we can still make our own choices. He is all powerful and good, but evil still exists in the world. He's a God of justice, yet he loves everyone and forgives anyone who asks. And all of that is supposed to make sense? We are committed to trying to make sense out of the nature of God, but my name is Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Seriously, I am delighted that you make the time to be able to come. For those of you that are here at the South Park campus and for those of you that are watching online, thank you for being a part of this particular service and this message. What a week it has been, right? We have experienced a, a peaceful transfer of power in a new administration that quite frankly has a lot of people with a lot of celebration and relief and a lot of other people in distress with a great deal of concern with what's happening in our country, which is interesting because four years ago, it was flipped the other direction. We also have a lot of the internet's blowing up with prophecies and predictions about the future, and we're still dealing with issues of the rollout of the vaccine and the implications that people are dealing with in their lives and their finances at home. With all that's going on in our world and the trouble that's going on in our country, you know, one of the questions we might be asking is, God, what are you up to? God, what, what are you doing? God, what's happening here? Because a lot of our, that's going on in our world doesn't make sense to me. And if you're out there, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't this be getting better? Folks, that's, a, that's an understandable question, especially in the light of the fact that many of us are just kind of frustrated or concerned, especially with some of the things that are going on in our personal lives. Where is God in the process? So here's the thing. We're going through this series, kind of dealing with the attributes of God, who God really is, because we believe that it's important for us to have the proper perspective and concept of God because that affects our worldview. That affects how we look at everything and interpret reality, relationships, and those kinds of things. I really appreciate what Jason Smith, pastor, said last week in the message that wouldn't it be great if by the end of this year, rather than bragging about all the accomplishments, that the thing that we boast about more than anything else, shows up in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, is that we would boast that we know and understand God. This one who is faithful in showing love and justice and righteousness on the earth. That's our hope. And so last couple weeks ago, we talked about the transcendence and the imminence of God. We took a look at this God who is immense, this God who is great and majestic, but this God who is also imminent. He is fully active and fully present right where we are. Last week, we took a look at the attributes of God as a God of justice and mercy. Today, we're going to take a look at a huge topic of God. It's his sovereignty and his goodness. His sovereignty is goodness. As a matter of fact, some people have said that as far as the sovereignty of God is concerned, this is like the bedrock uh, doctrine of all theologies. It's like the Mount Everest theology of all theologies, and all of the doctrines in the scriptures align with this aspect of the sovereignty and the goodness of God. So we're going to get into the passage in a few moments, but I want, I want to kind of prep you for our focal passage. When I read this particular passage, it's going to be coming out of Daniel chapter 4, many of you will hear that, the, the words, and you'll be like, yeah, I get it, that makes sense, that resonates with kind of where I am, but there may be some phrases in this particular passage that will cause you to like, wait a second, what, 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 what does that mean? A little bit unsettling, but as we kind of roll through it, I want to 
kind of unpack some of the amazing things in this passage that help us understand about the sovereignty and the goodness of God. So if you would please, out of respect for the reading of the word of God, may I ask you to stand to your feet. We'll dive right in. But before I actually read the passage, I actually want to ask you to recite out loud this prayer that comes out of Psalm 119, verse 18. I introduced it to you about a couple of weeks ago. It's a great prayer to pray before you engage meditation or study in the word of God. So the words are going to be on the screen. If you will recite this prayer out loud, muffled behind masks, I get it. But if you'll recite this prayer as we prepare, say this with me. God... Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And now from Daniel chapter 4. To those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, I praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, there's a couple lines in there that's like, okay, where, 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 where's this going? an understanding of who God is, maybe to clarify some things that we don't understand about God, but push pause on that particular story. Let's dive into understanding the sovereignty and the goodness of God. For those of you that are interested in kind of doing some heavier reading on your own, I commend to you the book by Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, or Tozer's, A.W. Tozer's book on knowledge of the holy. Those are kind of the inspiration works for what we're dealing in this series as we've also been studying the scriptures. But here is Wayne Grudem's definition of the sovereignty of God. I'm going to read it carefully. God is infinitely capable and free to do all his holy will and exercises his complete and unhindered authority over all his creation. Here's some passages of scripture to kind of back that up from Isaiah chapter 46. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Psalm 135, the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. Job 42, I know that you, God, can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isaiah 45. So that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no one but me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Did you just get a little unsettled there for that for, for a moment? 
God who creates light and darkness, success and disaster, the God who is sovereign over everything. The idea about sovereignty and his control is that God is able to complete and accomplish his perfect will by his omnipotence, the power to do exactly and completely what he wants without violating our free will. That's a miracle. How God's able to do everything that he wants in spite of what we do without violating our free will, the sovereignty of God. And then the goodness of God. Here's the definition. God is the final standard of good and all that God is and all that God does is worthy of approval. All that God is, all that God does is worthy of approval as he is the ultimate, complete, full standard of what is good. Here's some scriptures from Mark chapter 10. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Psalm 119. You are good, and you do what is good. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And then Psalm 106, hallelujah. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, so... With all those scriptures, a lot of that you'd probably say, yeah, a lot of that was really good, but there are some scriptures and there's some lines that kind of don't jive with my concept of God, especially in the, the aspect of his sovereignty. One of America's greatest teachers and preachers, Chip Ingram, said that even as a young adult Christian, when he was in a particular meeting and the, the subject of the sovereignty of God came up, Chip had to admit, um, what is that word sovereignty? I don't understand what that word is because he'd never really come across it. And quite frankly, that word sovereign, Americans don't do sovereign real well because the foundation of our country really is to get away from sovereign and to respect our own sovereign self-governance, our own autonomy. And so the idea of a sovereign who's in control of everything that we're, that we're accountable to one person, that ain't how we are. We are in a republic, a Republican or representative form of government where they work for us and so there's not a monarch. But a sovereignty identifies that there is one person who holds complete and total control and that we're all accountable to him. That's a concept that's not easy. As a matter of fact, Francis Chen, another pastor, said, when you look at through the scriptures, you will see it's kind of unsettling how in control of everything God actually is. It assaults our sensibilities. And so there's kind of like this clash of the titans. If you remember that movie that had Greek gods battling out for dominion of the universe and especially earth, well, there seems to be this clash of the titans of the sovereignty and the goodness of God against the evil and suffering that's in the world. There's a branch of theology called theodicy, which is reconciling the nature of God's power and God's goodness in the reality of the fact that there is evil and suffering in the world. And some people have a real difficult time with that. The question is, how could a powerful and good God allow evil and suffering in the world? And can I let you know, that is a good question. Especially from the perspective of where we come from or where we live, if God is all that, if he's all powerful, if he's all good, then why is there still evil and suffering? Why isn't something being done about that? I have to again say, that question sometimes gets on my heart and my mind. But what I have a problem with, especially with skeptics, is they go beyond the question and get to a conclusion. Here's what they'll say. They'll say, either God is all-powerful, but he's not good, 
or God is all good, but he's not powerful enough to change anything. And it's almost as if they lob that onto the desk, they might drop and they say, there's the argument, prosecution rests, there's no need for you to continue any further. And I'm like, wait a second, I think there's a, a conversation that needs to happen because we're making that assumption based on our understanding from our frame of reference. If God is all powerful, then maybe he's not good, or if God's all good, then he is not powerful. That's a conclusion that demands investigation. Because the truth about it is, is that, and I have to, I have to be honest, you can go throughout scripture and find places where God was either directly or indirectly responsible for some of the sufferings that, that take place in response to his justice, his mercy. But that's sometimes what atheists, they'll lob that and they'll say, yeah, but what about the, the fact that God caused these particular catastrophes? And Christians are like, I'm not sure what to... So I need to be honest with you. You can go from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 20, and you can see that God is responsible for some things that take place. Either he decrees it or he allows it. It's problematic. But here's a question I want to posit. Is it possible that an infinite being who is infinite in power and authority and infinite in goodness, is it possible that he can express himself in ways that transcend our finite understanding? Is it possible that a God who is infinite in power, infinite in goodness, can express himself in ways that don't compute, that transcend our limited understanding, especially since you and I can barely know what we're going to have for dinner tomorrow? let alone a God who controls and sees the end from the beginning from an eternal perspective, this God who is the only uncreated being that there is. Is it possible that his expression transcends, his ways and his thoughts are as high above us as the heavens are above the earth? We're going to push play back on the story. And let me ask you, when, when I read that particular passage of Scripture to you earlier on, that out of Daniel, who did you think made that declaration? Your answer would probably be, well, that was Daniel. Would it surprise you to know that it was not Daniel, was not that righteous man, it was another righteous man who was a pagan, wicked, oppressive, Gentile king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one that made that statement. And when I tell that to you, because I actually left out one of the words when I started reading, and it starts off in verse 1 of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar to those of every people and every nation, every language who live on the whole earth, I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the most high God has done for me. That right there should say, wait a second, this is a guy that, that deported and, and defeated Israel, and he's making a declaration about God. What is the story there? I'm glad you asked. Here's what took place. Here's the context. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he's chilling at his palace. He is enjoying his prosperity, very, very content. And he is also having these visions that are just terrifying. And he can't interpret them. He's got his wise guys, the astrologers, the diviners, the magicians, all together to say, interpret the dream. And they can't do it. But Daniel, who has this record of being able to interpret dreams, he comes to Daniel with confidence and says, Daniel, I know the spirit of the living gods is in you. Here is my dream. I need an interpretation. And so the king says, my dream is this. In my bed, I saw a vision of a tree that was so tall that it scraped the sky and it could be seen from the ends of the earth how big this tree was. Its leaves were luxuriant. 
and its fruit was abundant. The tree provided shelter for birds and animals and the, the fruit for sustenance for all flesh. But then I heard a voice of a holy messenger that said, basically, chop the tree down, lop off all its branches, scatter its fruit and all the animals, and then take the stump of that tree, bronze chain it to the ground, and that stump, the dew of the earth of heaven will fall on it, and it will become like an animal. It will roam with the plants and the animals until it comes to the place of being able to acknowledge who God is, that he is the, the most high God, sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. And he will be in that position for seven periods. Daniel, help me out here. And Daniel, in hearing the dream, in hearing the vision, Daniel becomes very, very distressed. And the king sees that and says, Daniel, don't be afraid of giving me the interpretation. What does it mean? And Daniel says, King, I wish that this dream was about your enemies and those who hate you. I wish it was about them, but it's about you. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're that tree. That tree that's grown so tall and so strong with dominion that's being able to be viewed from all over the earth. That signifies the fact that you have been given that place of prominence, your dominion and your influence that's worldwide. But in your arrogance, then there's the holy decree that an angel de delivers the message of God that says all of that will be stripped away from you. You will lose your glory, your majesty, and your sanity. And you will go around into the forest. You will become like a beast. You will lose. You'll be driven away from people, and you'll be in the forest like a beast. You'll be chewing grass like a cow. Your back will be drenched with dew. Your hair will grow long like feathers on a bird. Your nails will grow long like talons as well, too, for seven periods. The scholars believe that that was a seven-year period that was being prophesied, because that's probably how long it takes for hair to grow that long. <laughs> Until you come to the place, king, of being able to recognize and acknowledge the most high God who gives kingdoms to whomever he wishes. And so then after he finishes the interpretation, he says to the king, king, separate yourself from your sins by doing what's right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension in your prosperity. Whew. How do you respond to a vision like that? I'm thinking that Nebuchadnezzar was like, wow, man, that's, 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 that's impressive. That's, I, I will take that under advisement. I, I, I'm a little concerned, but after all, he's King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the entire world in that sense. And I'm thinking that he may have paid a little bit of attention to it for the first day. You know how we are, because there's, there's a kind of a, a little bit of a King Nebuchadnezzar in kind of all of us, proud of our accomplishments. And when we hear news, we may respond to it with some concern, but the longer that it goes on and nothing happens, so for the first day, for the first week, for the first month, nothing happens. And Nebuchadnezzar's probably getting more at ease and more at ease, and maybe week, uh, month three, month four, nothing happens. To the point to where maybe by month six, he's not even thinking about it. It's not even registered on his radar that this even happened. But the scripture says, at month 12, one year later, kind of a grace period that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is on his balcony, and he looks over Babylon, and he says, look at the great city Babylon that I have created by my power and by my might for my glory. The words aren't even finished off his lips when a voice from heaven, an angel basically says, it's been decreed that you will lose everything. Everything that Daniel said would happen is exactly what took place. And in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar lost all of his glory, all of his splendor, and he lost his mind. 
He crawled around in the forest like an animal. Dew drenched his back. His hair and nails grew long. He had no reasoning ability for seven periods. Again, possibly seven years. And the Nebuchadnezzar says, but at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the most high and honored and glorified him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion as his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar splendored that particular point. All of it returned because he acknowledged who God was. His kingdom influence returned even greater than before. And Nebuchadnezzar, as again, I read this earlier on, but he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true. His ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. How do you respond and react to a God of that kind of power? Who can on his terms, in his time, humble us. Can I tell you that one of the ways that we can respond to that is with a sense of indignation. God, that's unfair. That's unjust. That's one way we, people can respond to that. Or number two, knowing that there's a being with that much power can terrify us to the point to where we wouldn't want to get anywhere near him at all. And I think that those reactions are possible because we're leaving out an extremely important element, and that is the goodness of God. Hear me carefully. God is infinitely sovereign, but he's also infinitely good. Infinitely sovereign and infinitely good. So maybe part of the reaction can be a sense, a heightened sense of accountability with a desire for mercy from a God such as this. Because back to that clash between the sovereignty and goodness and evil and suffering. I think all of us would agree that it's a good thing that God would exterminate evil and suffering in the world, especially evil, which is a source of a lot of the suffering, that he would exterminate all the evil in the world. Here's the problem. Who defines what evil is? Answer? He does. He defines what he, what's evil. And so part of the issue is that we would want God to exterminate all the evil so that we could have life the way that we want to. But here's the deal. He cannot exterminate all the evil in the world while still leaving evil in us. That if God's going to exterminate the evil, we go along with the flood as well. Because folks, we are the moral problem. What's the reason why, at this particular point, God has not exterminated all the evil, including us? Answer, his goodness. His goodness. Folks, where you are right now, seated here or seated at your home online, the fact that many of us got up this morning, I think all of us got up this morning, I think we all did, we all got up this morning, we'll enjoy coffee, we'll enjoy food, We'll enjoy breathing oxygen on this side of heaven. That is an extension expression of the goodness of God because we deserve something far different. 
But the reality is, is that this infinite goodness of God gives us a chance of being able to acknowledge who he is. Time to do that. That's one of the things I love about this particular passage. Nebuchadnezzar, the amazing redemption of what happens in his life, this pagan, Gentile, wicked king, came to the place of being able to confess that God is indeed sovereign over all. That God can do anything he wants, anything that he pleases with anyone that he wants. That his will is irresistible. That mankind is accountable to God. God is not accountable to mankind. And that he went through a process of being humbled to be able to see who God is. Here's what I mean by that. The worst thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar was the best thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Because no longer is he going to be bragging about himself. God, in his sovereign goodness, gave this non-Jewish, pagan, Gentile king, through the process of what he went through, that you wouldn't want that to be repeated, but he gave that king the privilege of being able to know who God is. To know this God who is faithful, this God who is just, this God who is merciful. The verbs that are in that particular passage indicate that this was not just something that Nebuchadnezzar just did once, but that there was a continual life of worship and reverence towards God. The worst thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar became the very best thing that happened to him, which means also that one of the ways that we respond to the reality of the sovereignty and goodness of God, and I've asked this question to several people, and you know what they, they tell me? That if you really understand who he is, that one of the reactions is hope. Hope. Knowing full well that a God who is in control of everything will not let anything thwart his purpose to bring his goodness into our life. That God can even use our mistakes, that God can use the suffering to produce good. There's a story I love. It's from Pasco County, Florida. A motorist, a mother who had strapped her child in the car seat in the back of the car, threw her keys in the front seat, and then closed the door, not realizing that the car was locked. So now she is frankly because her baby's in the car and she can't get in, but she sees a group of men, five men who happen to be inmates working under the supervision of a sheriff, working on the median strip. And she comes to these guys and says, can you please help me to get my daughter out of the car? Providentially, these men were in prison for car theft. And so in five minutes, they jimmied the lock and reconnected the mother with her daughter. And the mother is filming this, 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 that's going on and watches this. And here's what she records over her, over the video camera. Thank God for all you criminals, is what she said. <laughs> criminals, these guys who really wanted to try to pay back and, and make good with their efforts. And they were able to use that. That God is able to use even our evil, even our suffering, even those things that are not that good for his purpose. There is a beach in Vladivostok, Russia. Usury Bay is what it's called. It's called Glass Beach. It used to be a dumping site for wine bottles, beer bottles, vodka bottles, glass, and porcelain. Jagged shards of this material that was out there. But over the many years, the waves would continue to beat on, 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 on those shards to the point to where it smoothed out all the shards and made them these beautiful, colorful pebbles. Glass Beach now has millions and millions of these kaleidoscopic 
pebbles that had been worn down by the waves so that this once a dumping site, a dumping ground, became a popular tourist attraction of absolute beauty. If you ever go online and watch and, and take a look at the pictures, it is unbelievable. An example of the fact that through God's mercy, God's grace, God's sovereignty, God's goodness, that you can take the shards of your life, the brokenness, and transform it into something beautiful. That's what happened with Joseph. Joseph, at 17 years old, prophesied that he would have prominence of his family, and then for the next 13 to 15 years, Joseph spent his life in prisons and in great duress until finally he became the second right-hand man to Pharaoh over all of the land of Egypt, and with his brothers, his brothers who actually threw him in a pit, and it was, they were responsible for what had happened to him, he said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Or like King David, King David, 10 to 15 years old, the prophet Samuel anoints David to become the next king of Israel. David spends the next about 15 years of his life running as a fugitive from the king he's going to replace who's trying to kill him. Until at 30 years old, David assumes the kingship of Israel. Or Job, who went through untold suffering, loss of everything. His statement at the end of that, after God had confronted him, he said, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And Job, and Job had all of those losses restored. Like many of you who have gone through your times of trouble, like I did years ago when I went through the suffering of my late wife. And I walked through that period and there were times where I asked God, what are you, what are you doing? What's going on? And I will tell you that his faithfulness to that process, I walked out of that period a better man with a greater understanding of who God is that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And celebrating the fact that also God brought me another a very special woman to be my wife as well, experiencing God's redemption in that. For Jesus Christ, the sovereign God in the flesh, who submitted himself to the brutality of humanity, the justice of God, who would suffer and die so that you and I, through his resurrection, can find forgiveness, reconciliation, pardon, and a God who can transform even the most ugliest, grotesque, catastrophes and bring victory and glory out of it. That God who is sovereign, that God is good, promises us that through Jesus Christ, his sovereignty and his goodness redeems all of the evil and the suffering in our world, in your life. For those of you that right now you're dealing with some jagged shards of pain, disappointment. It's my honor to remind you, even resonating with the declaration of King Nebuchadnezzar, that this God who is sovereign and this God who is good is in the process of working out his glory in your life, not necessarily in a way that you can right now understand it, but as we trust him, as we submit to him, he will bring about a glory beyond what you can imagine as he continues the process. So let me invite you, let me encourage you, all of us, lean into the sovereignty. Lean into the sovereignty. 
First and foremost, I would say this, explore the truth of God. Explore the truth through scripture, through those who understand the word. As a matter of fact, for those of you that you got questions about, about Christ, about the faith, about the Bible, I encourage you, go online to the Forest Hill website and sign up for the starting point class. That's a community of people that will take the time and give you the freedom of being able to ask the kinds of questions that you need some answers for. But start by exploring the truth. Stop listening to what people say about God who don't know him. Let God tell you who he is from his word. Number two, I'd say this. Admit your limitations. Admit your limitations. You know, I know part of the mantra that, mantra that we hear in our culture is this. It's, you can do anything you set your mind to. That's not true. I mean, we can do an awful lot, but anything we can set our minds to, folks, we don't have unlimited power. We don't have unlimited intellect. We can't do anything we set our minds to. There's only one person who can do that. We're limited in that physical and intellectual ability, but can I say this? We're also limited in our moral and spiritual. All we like sheep have fallen, have gone astray, and we have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are in desperate need of his grace. So admit your limitations. Go to God and say, God, I'm weak in these particular areas. But then by faith in Jesus Christ, receive his goodness. Folks, it's, it's an unlimited, infinite amount of goodness that is available for us. And God invites us under his sovereign care to take advantage of his grace and his mercy. And it happens through taking our, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Acknowledging his death, acknowledging his resurrection, and his lordship over all and over our life to submit our life for him and hum with humility to receive his grace. And then I would say this finally. Declare your trust. That's what kind of Nebuchadnezzar did. Declare your trust in him. As a matter of fact, how about this? Complete this statement as a declaration of trust. The statement is, God... I declare that you are sovereign and good in my blank. God, I declare. I'm dealing with emotions. I'm dealing with pain. I'm dealing with suffering. I'm dealing with confusion. But in spite of that, knowing who you are, I declare that you are sovereign and good in my blank. How about in my country? I don't understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on, but God, I know who you are. I declare that you are sovereign and good in my country. And we practice that by doing what God commanded us to do by praying for our leaders. The scripture says that there is no authority that exists that hasn't been established by God. And God calls his people to pray for those leaders because it is good and pleasing to God. We practice our trust in his sovereignty by praying whether we voted for them or not but praying for our leaders. God, I declare that you are sovereign and good in my circumstances. My marriage, my family, my health, my vocation. God, I declare that you are sovereign and good in my failures. My fallibility, my faults. God, I declare that you are sovereign and good in my life because nothing in this universe will thwart the plan or the power of God to accomplish what he has determined he would do for his eternal glory and our eternal good. Will you 
declare your trust in him today. God, I declare your sovereignty and your goodness in my life. May the power of that sovereign God, may the mercy and grace of that God who is infinitely good draw you and I to the place of being able to then boast and brag that we know who he is. We know and understand God. And our life is the proof of his love, of his truth, and of his power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray about that if we can. God, first and foremost, Lord, we, we thank you. We admit, Lord, there's a lot about you that we don't understand, and we confess that we have made some conclusions about you that are not true. They're not based on what's right. Lord, correct us. Help us to be humble before you so that we can live our lives on the basis of what is true. Father, right now, we pray for our country. In this new administration, in this new era, Lord, some of us don't know where things are going, but you do. And it, you didn't ask us to figure things out. You've called us to pray. And so, God, we pray for all of our elected officials that, God, you would give them wisdom, that you would constrain them to your form of government so that your sovereignty is expressed through their leadership. We pray that they would humble themselves before you and conduct their affairs in a way that reflects your heart. And God, right now I pray for those that are in this room and those that are online that are dealing with pain, they're dealing with confusion, they're dealing with suffering, they're dealing with the, the paralysis of trying to figure out what is happening because it seems as if there's always something that's coming. I pray for your peace. I pray for your comfort. I pray for your sovereign goodness in their life and that they would know and embrace you as the God against whom there are no opposing forces. Set them free to worship and to declare the truth of who you are with their lips and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May I ask you to stand to your feet. Another way that we can respond by placing our trust, leaning into that sovereignty, is to express our praise and trust to God in worship. Let's do that right now.